0: Hello and welcome to what is now Season 5 of Pebble in the Pond podcast. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year ANZMHA hosts several leading mental health conferences which give us the opportunity to connect with incredible industry leaders, lived experience speakers, researchers, academics and frontline workers as they share fascinating stories and projects which are changing the face of mental health within our community. Listen in as we go one-on-one with these inspiring people and dive deep into their work. It is truly a privilege to bring you their stories. Our podcast episodes may contain content which could be triggering for some people. If you need support, please contact Lifeline on 131114 or visit the Get Help page on anzmh.asn.au. Join us for Pebble in the Pond each Tuesday, and let's get into Season 5. today's podcast, we talk with Jack Buckskin, a proud Ghana and Narunga man. Jack tells the story of his family's background and how, after grasping the Ghana language, he's continued to become a teacher and leading authority on this traditional South Australian language. During our episode, we talk about Jack's passion for the language and how dedicated he is to lifting the profile of cultural language in South Australia. Welcome, Jack. Jack, thanks so much for sharing your time with me today and also sharing your journey with our listeners on Garena Country. It's a pleasure to be here and thanks for having us. Uh, Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Jack, tell everybody, what's your your background? Tell us about your mob and where you're from. Uh, so um, I represent three groups
1: here from South Australia: Garneau on the Adelaide Plains, here Narunga from the York Peninsula, and Warrangal from near Streaky Bay Sajuna area from the far west coast. Wow! Dad's Italian, Scottish. My kids are Vietnamese, English. On top of that, so we're we're pretty multicultural. Wow! And we diverse mob. But yeah, that's who I am, and I identify mainly uh, stronger with Garneau on the Adelaide Plains and Narunga from the York Peninsula. As that's the the mission my family was taken to.
0: Right. And mate tell me about what was it like growing up for you in a rural were you a rural rural area
1: Nah we lived in I I was the first generation to grow up here in Adelaide mum and that came here in 1972 and then when the abolishment of the Aboriginal Protection Act was put in place so mum was the first one to sort of go through school dropped out at about year 7 I grew up I was born here in Adelaide and and grew up here so yeah like my my childhood was you know cruising around Adelaide and was never allowed inside mum was always like you know go Get go out. outside and see you when the when the street lights come back on so i got two sisters six and seven years older than me so they you know i was i was much younger and a totally different generation to them too so by the time they were 16 17 with, with partners i was only nine years old so i pretty much grew up with just me and mum
0: were you hanging off the sisters mate at all like trying to be older than you were at the time
1: Nah, not really. I was one of those kids that could just wander and do my own thing. So it's a generation of like bikes and and rollerblades, and you know that was it. Yeah. You know, we lived down the road from the park, so I barely saw them. They would always just try and dress me up like Peter Andre because I think they were in love back <laughs> in the nineties. <laughs> Peter Andre, yeah, good, mate! Yeah, could be worse,
0: on, people than that. Good old Peter Andre. So <laughs> good on you. Yeah. Mate, tell, me about, tell me about the cultural upbringing of you and the influence that your culture had on your growing up and, and your parents as well, because I know there's a story there as well.
1: Yeah, so my grandfather was the first one who had to exempt himself from being an Aboriginal person to, to leave the mission. He sort of went through his life working on the railways, and went to the armed forces in the army there for a while. And then, you know, leading into sort of more modern times, my mum's older sister, husband started Native Title and Heritage here in South Australia. Wow. So yeah, kitchen tables were always hearing about culture. And then yeah. we got a whole bunch of uncles that went practice practice traditional culture once they were allowed to so always sitting around I, I spent most of my my childhood sitting around with the old people and just learning so people say you you started this really young but i was probably i was a nine-year-old site monitor at some of our burial sites and i was show an archaeologist what bones were so you know i had no idea at the time the the impact that that was having or how much cultural knowledge that was you know not entitled to everybody or, that everybody didn't have, but you know, it was just normal for me. So, you know, those sort of built into the passion, and, and the work that I do now was built off of these guys just, you know, informally explaining the importance of native title and country and and maintaining our sites of significance. Um, and, you know, when I started my language journey, it was mainly just to continue the work that they had already been doing since they were allowed
0: to. So back on your your grandfather he had to have an exemption to leave the mission. Yeah. So,
1: yeah so that was like all all Aboriginal people was removed and put on the Aboriginal reserves under the Aboriginal Protection Act. So that was the legislation that enabled the government to put all people on the missions and reserves and and a lot of non-Aboriginal people don't realize that from in South Australia from 1850 until 1967 but it really didn't kick off until about 1970 that the aboriginal protection act was was abolished our people were forced to to live on missions and reserves and my my grandfather so he had an exemption certificate meant he's no longer a black follower, and that he could wander the streets but he had to carry it on him because if the cops pulled him over because he was black he said look flashes it and just says yeah now nah, i'm white So oh, that, yeah. uh, that, was the, that was the that was the times man and it was it was rough and you know a lot of people have the same stories we call them dog tags you know they yeah you know, I mean, a lot of people refer to them as dog tags because they had to have them on them and that that's just a reality of you know back in the and the 50s and uh, you know we're sitting here at adelaide oval he played footy here and in, in 52 in an all-white team and he was the the one the one black fella sitting in there was in he the really room. so but you know if you, you read the documents he was a white fella as well
0: is that right it's funny now, you, it? you
1: fast forward to, to this day and age. I just and couldn't imagine. That. I work at Aboriginal, like I used to work at an Aboriginal college at Port Adelaide. And in order to, to go for an Aboriginal specific job, we need a proof of Aboriginality. Yeah. So it's like roles reverse
0: within two generations. It's yeah. I mean, that's, that's just hard to believe, isn't it? That those times, like it would have been interesting to just, it's just hard to grasp knowing what we know today to sit there and hear someone say, well, to leave here, you have to say you're non-Aboriginal and you have to be willing to accept that.
1: A lot of non-Aboriginal people wouldn't understand, you know, they, you know we, we don't have a lot of hatred, but that's why we talk about the importance of education yeah. uh, and, and people having access to the truth of, of history yeah. because the re- reality is that's for every Aboriginal person throughout Australia. And, you know, we've been part of mainstream Western society and being able to live as free people for the last 50 years so that's that's two generations at the most
0: not very old is it like no. not very long ago
1: yeah we're like you know we can we can date our heritage back to you know ancient ancestors uh, that have lived this country for a long time but we've only been part of this this society for 50 years
0: man T- tell me about the language then of i mean it's such a it's such a heart of of the different nations the different country the different mobs around Australia tell us about that and how that was almost suppressed or was suppressed i guess you yeah. weren't allowed to speak it right
1: yeah a lot of people talk about it being sort of a, a dead or a dying language or and our elders used to talk about it being a sleeping language it was a it was a banned language it wasn't something that we lost you know like we misplaced it somewhere like oh where'd my language go it was actually denied our people to do it and you know south australia was established in 1836 and by 1840 they had to two german missionaries recording our language and their reasoning for it was to convert our people to christianity but they didn't convert anybody and after 18 months were seen as failures so the government kicked them out of adelaide and so they moved over to york peninsula and started recording narunga language on the york peninsula but the work that they did during that time came vital to the revitalization of of Garand. and to fit into a, what we call dora language group which goes uh, there's 10 languages as far as flinders rangers and wirringal and and they're still spoken languages so to go back into the revitalization we relied on those languages that we grew up speaking Aboriginal English using that prior knowledge and just substituting the new words that we that we were learning you know for, for current terms so those recordings from
0: the German missions
1: only written stuff there was never any uh, okay. uh, voice recording so none of this fancy podcast stuff. yeah you know that was it was all reliant on on books so they all and wrote, wrote and, all and I struggle to read and write so I'm not the best when it comes to reading and writing but yeah. it's to understand the language that's what I learned from our linguist. he he taught me the rules of language and linguistics and how Garda worked and I taught myself so it's it's a pretty simple language if you understand like mathematics and like patterns of formulas that's all you really need to understand with the language and it just starts to fall into place. People, people go about learning language a little bit different. They go, I want to learn language, and then they start with numbers and colours and then they don't, if they, they don't understand the grammar that goes to it, you, you'll never go anywhere with the language. So focus on the grammar and how it works first and then everything falls into
0: place. How many? I mean, obviously your experience here, so reviving the language has been – A critical part of the culture and trying to bring the language back to being spoken within the families within your communities how how is it going where are we up to with it have you got we sort of back to where you want it to be is there still a way to go yeah still got a fair
1: bit of process to go like you know 20 years ago people didn't even know who garner were other than garner people didn't know who garner you know 15 years ago i remember our linguist saying that you'll never get a job in teaching language so yeah two years later i took his job and I'd been teaching, I come from no teaching background, no, no qualifications. I still have no qualifications at, I was a greenskeeper on a golf course, cutting, cutting grass uh, and then went to teaching people our language. And, and that just came from a passion of wanting to share the knowledge that I was learning. So we've gone from like literally nobody knowing who Ghana were to, you know, starting to get a bit of language in the public domain around dual naming. Our uh, river, our main river, River Torrens. We call it Karawarapari. Pari. Yeah, Adelaide City was dual named, so you know we, you know, that started raising the awareness of Hugan. But it's been language that's really lifted the profile of cultural heritage and sites of significance. A native title. It's come off the back of the promotion of language. Now we have our our governor, our Lord Mayor, you know, councillors, ministers. Everybody just rattles off language, and they do it in in Garna. They, they acknowledge country and you know it's a good starting point for them to acknowledge country and do it in the mother tongue language
0: yeah and mate so is the idea to try and get this into the school system as well to try and teach the kids at an earlier age yeah we're
1: you know that's the that's the goal and the plan a lot of our, a lot of other language groups around the world don't have as many languages on one country you know we've got over a thousand schools on our country we only have i think it's about two and a half thousand garna people so one and Every second Ghana person's got to become a Ghana teacher. I don't think that's going to be a reality. So unfortunately, we're not going to get into every school, not with, you know, teaching personnel. We need we need to rely on others, and that's like our non-Aboriginal brothers and sisters to stand up, to learn our language and and understand it, bring bring Ghana people to the table when it comes to cultural knowledge and being able to, you know, share that platform and in a way being, you know, be a bit of a submissive to to garner people and garner educators when when learning about Ghana language and culture.
0: How important is this? I mean around Australia not just here the lands we speak today but is this important for all different nations around Australia to try and embrace this and bring it back and and do similar things to try and get it ingrained throughout their the culture and the naming and the, getting it used in the mother tongue of their regions or where they're from.
1: Yeah, a lot of us grew up with sort of aboriginal english which you know, was a I guess, created language for identity purposes. You know, you take away our language, but then when we can, we'll speak each other's languages. And, and that was just evolved over times when of, of rebellion, really, when our people were talking to each other on the missions and reserves with, without any ministers or without the superintendents around. So, you know, but to speak a mother tongue language, you start to get a better appreciation and understanding of the country. You know, language is embedded into our environment. You, know, you look at place names and you go, what does that mean? through learning language, you can understand what it means and then it gives you a better appreciation about the place that you're standing on. You go, this is probably why or this is why this was named for, for whatever reason, whatever place it is. So, you know, one, it gets you to to understand the country a bit more, but at the same time, it gets you back in the process of thinking with an Aboriginal lens instead of the Western lens that we've been taught from, you know, early early childhood and, yeah. and, and throughout our education system.
0: What about, is there more to it? Obviously, there is heaps more to it than just the language, but is there any, are you looking as well for other cultural practices and I guess storytelling and stuff to be also done through this way, not just the language?
1: Yeah, well, we don't, we, a lot of our stories have been lost. You, you look around to Aboriginal groups around, uh, around Australia, I think. Yeah. 12 languages, I think, it's, was the last count. 12 languages haven't been affected by colonization. They're still a Is language right? out of 250 plus. So I, I was told a statistic, I think it's around about 92% of sacred song lines to be completely lost, which we'll never get back. But, you know, th- through the process of learning language, you can connect back to ceremony. And you can tell a new lens, there's a, a new contemporary lens that we can do and maintaining that connection. But there'll be a lot of sacred song lines that will never be never be resurrected. You know, it definitely helps with the reconnecting to one's identity, but also back to, to you know, basic things like ceremony.
0: What about the role of elders? I mean, they're playing an important role in keeping the culture alive and, and the, the native tongue. And the, I mean, is that the the role that they're playing do you feel like there needs to be more of that it needs to be more adapted throughout the rest of society and their role and to be recognized a bit more i mean where do you think we're at with that
1: yeah i think i, I think you know it's not not knocking it in any way our elders have, have lived experience they were in that generation so this is my mother's generation which was the first generation to leave missions and so they had to adapt to the western society very quickly so they have lived experience because they've been around a long time but when we talk about language and cultural maintenance and use it's come from the younger generation the younger generation have have, are leading the way when it comes to where we go with language and but it's the elders with the lived experience to go that you make sure you you know they're they're the rule they they're the ones to keep us in line but it's the it's the young generation that are really pushing the you know making the vehicle move it's the elders that are just making sure that we're doing it and doing it appropriately so the elders which you know for us, our, our elders, what they say is what, they, what you do. And they're the people that just keep us accountable. You know, I think if I can like contextualize it for like non-Aboriginal people in organizations, it's like a rap plan. You've got your rap plan and they're the ones keeping you accountable. And that's what our elders are about. But I think the, the movement's happening and the way that we're moving forward is happening. Sort of the second generation, you know, the, the kids in their you
0: know, 40s, 40s and down. <laughs> for your parents' generation, I mean with they're looking back on where they started and grew up and now where things are at now are they quite are they quite not happy but are they are they are they content with where things are going are they are they do they think we're on the path and down the path and getting back to where things should be,
1: yeah. I, I can't speak on behalf of all of them, but the I guess experience I've had with the elders in our community, they're they're probably more envious because they see the traction and the movement and the kids growing up with language, the language use being respected and and acknowledged from a younger age. You know, having the freedom to practice culture and speak language, they're more envious of, but mm-hmm. definitely hopeful that. You know we're only we're only progressing it's they that we don't have to go through what they went through, so in in one end, it's sort of yeah. that mixed emotions as you know you've got yes we're we're getting somewhere, but at the same time, I missed out on that.
0: missed out on that that'd be tough, wouldn't it because yeah. it's such such an important part of their identity as well that was really taken from them
1: yeah, um, I've spent a, you know the last fifteen, sixteen years teaching a lot of the elders just basic language you know for them just to use. they don't want to know the rules, they don't want to understand grammar, they just want to know how to say random things and to be able to just speak in language you know so it's it's been hard to navigate you know because we you know a lot of people will say that you learn from your elders but our elders are learning from the younger generation and that sort of shared balance when it comes to who and how we learn is about not always about the, the age-based stuff it's yeah. it you know we've always been a knowledge-based culture and not an age-based culture so i think that's where they found it a bit difficult at some, some, and some points as well is to go, well, you're younger than me. I remember changing your nappies and, and now I'm learning from you. But it's the it's reality of where we're at in our society.
0: There would have been a fair bit of work to go through and, and try and piece this all together, the language, because effectively it was lost for some time and yeah. then trying to get the different pieces and put them together and create the language again, which I assume this is the younger generation that spent the time doing that
1: yeah we've been we've been in our revitalization process now for thirty years wow. um for t- for t- for thirty one years so you know it's it's been a while our <laughs> elders started off very very basically but they wanted to start with the you know sort of the baby level so should, yeah. they started with babies so they did songs and nursery rhymes and it was a good way for the elders to remember those terms we're out of date where where we're at now is like we're in the process of going to the next level about you know digitalizing language making it yeah. accessible the, the times have changed so youtube and yeah. and you know digital platforms these are these are where we're moving towards when it comes to language because it just makes it more accessible for people we live in a in a fairly big country and the hustle bustle of the english world makes us busy so we just want to make it accessible for people to learn as much as they can
0: mm. And does it, take, does it take some time to – I mean, you, you mentioned that it was – if you're good at mathematics, you can see the structure. It's probably pretty easy to piece together, but it still would take some time and effort. Are you talking like – what have you seen, like a couple of months? Were you talking about
1: it's uh, it? a couple of years. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, a couple of years. But like, a, it's a much more accessible now than when I started learning. We had, a, yeah. we had an old word list that was in Garnet to English. So if you didn't know the English word, you didn't, you couldn't find it. It was hard it uh so i went the long way around now we've got an english to Ghana dictionary so it it, we've got digital versions of it so it's so much more accessible for people i guess sometimes that's the downfall as well because it's so accessible that i put the time and effort into learning it so you know i just play with different endings and different words and just make up random stuff and and it was just seeing how the endings worked so how the suffixes work with the new words and i guess the longest part was trying to memorize as much of the language as you can and yeah. that's the process it's you know understanding the rules would you know a couple of months you work yeah. out how the language works but memorizing as much of that stuff and then making it from a written form to a spoken form to be you know yeah, on you know it. to be ready to go at any point to answer or ask questions it's a it's a totally different level from reading and writing to, to speaking language
0: Wow, that's awesome that that's there though, that that the you know, the tools are there and the, the knowledge is there to be able to learn that for people that want to. And I can imagine there'd be a lot of people who just say, Oh, I just want to say this phrase and then that's it, then they want to know another phrase and then so they're sort of doing it probably a bit it's sporadically back to you know front, I mean? yeah. Like, yeah,
1: but that's that's okay. Like you want people you want to make language relevant. It's gotta be yeah. relevant. If you try and learn a language and it's just like, Oh yeah, here's your numbers and colours and you never see those numbers and colours in that language. Not going to make a lot of sense, but yeah. if it's specific to your area, yeah. it's going to make a lot more sense. We've done a lot of stuff with one of our footy teams over here with with the Adelaide Crows, and we've gone in teaching them a bit of language, and then they're teaching the the members, you know, that you know of their following a bit of language. And this has come from Aboriginal people, non-Aboriginal people. They're going, uh-huh. you know, when I say holding the ball, scream out "bundle," you know. So you know, wow. they they're utilizing it and making it relevant. We're doing the same thing with. The strikers are here with the with the cricket, it's all cricket related footy terms, cricket related terms. You know, when you hit a four, yep, yarrabola When it's six, when you're out, you know, you you just got to scream out those terms, and and people just utilise
0: them as the norm. That's awesome, mate. I mean, sports such a cool way to get that out to the community, isn't it? Really to 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 lead the way, number one, but number two to to spread the word and try and, and yeah, share that cultural view. They, the they have a platform,
1: that- you know. They These have got people, you know, thousands of kids growing up wanting to be these yeah. people. Whatever they say goes, man. You know, like you, you utilize those people. They're going to, you know, it might take, you know, us 30 years and the elders for us to get to this point. But whatever, you know, a Cristiano Ronaldo or a Messi says, yeah. you've got 20,000 kids doing what they say. So, you know, use those people to to be able to help the cause.
0: Is that the plan, mate? Is so obviously some, maybe they've been active and coming to you, but I mean the fact that, is that another way for you guys to get some good leverage to get out there and, and really push this? Well, not push it on people, but to promote it and showcase the language? Of the- I just want to
1: show you, because like, people say it was dead language and you can't really use it. Well, we're showing you the diversity and and putting our fingers in all these different pies yeah. to show you the, the versatility of what we can do with our language and, and that it is a thriving language. You know, so for us to, to be able to yarn and speak with cricket guys, footy guys, golfing yeah. we've got golfing terms, we've got puppets, you know, like so it goes That's from cool. sort of the you know, babies, we've got language that go from babies to adults and, and people that are just in specific regions, you know, like we're you know, We'll target any way that we can make a difference to an individual. You know, you never know, you know, that one sentence might change somebody's life and make want them make make them want to learn more.
0: What's the ideal for you? What's the like where would you be where do you want to get to with all of this? What's the what would make you happy, you know, with where we're at with this?
1: I guess, you know, seeing Garner as sort of respected as a as a semi official language, we don't want to take over English, but we want it to be recognized in a semi official language of the Adelaide Plains. Yeah. So when people know they come here the Adelaide and speak this language just as much as Garner people do. It's yeah. the it's within the region, you know. You go out here, you speak to the Maori mob or, or anybody from New Zealand, it's the first thing they say, they they all speak the com the common language, the same language. So in my lifetime i'd love to be able to see it just embraced and utilized from kids and you know the first thing they say is is not just hey how hey y'all, yeah, mate yeah. you know it's it's moved away from that and you're, you're getting greeted you you know you know random things like oh, i need to go to talk you know those directions whatever it may be people just know it Yeah. jump in a cab jump an uber have a have a little chat and you know just become that semi-official and then you know you know we're we're pushing and moving to to new things in in Australia you know we're you know probably a year or two away from a referendum that's going to make massive changes to our society if if it goes through and what we've been promoting for you know even just on a language lens in the last thirty years or on a on a social lens in the last fifty years is that yes the the past has happened it's it's been a negative past but we're still here willing to teach him up. Yeah, you took this from us. You treated us this way, but we're still willing to stand and want you to stand alongside us. So I think you know we're we're just promoting and moving towards a a better united Australia instead of what was created from the government early on was an Aboriginal Australia, non Aboriginal
0: Australia. Yeah, and ignoring the ignoring the past is not the way forward. You got to acknowledge it and actually, you know, recognise the fact that it's it's always been here.
1: Yeah, the reality is, is truth telling and telling the reality yeah. because you know, look, they're they're ugly stories, but that's that's what we're built on. And until we until we've dealt with it, yeah, you're not gonna, and nothing's going to change. You're going to have that underlining, you know, hurt and anger. People, people are people, man. And if you you treat somebody bad, they're going to hold those grudges. You know, we, yeah. and even if they do or they forgive, they never forget. So you know, we've got to be able to tell those stories for us to be able to go, okay, there's no, there's no hard feelings. There's no there's no hurt. There's no anger. We're just, we're going to make an impact and change together.
0: Still thinking back in the day when that all happened though. I mean, it's hard to comprehend that. I guess it was just the way they were at the time. But, mate, it's like hard to comprehend that that's how you treat people. You know, I mean, isn't it like it's hard for us to fathom into, you know.
1: This day and age, you would, you would, it, like, wouldn't, it wouldn't even. It like, doesn't make it sense. Would, wouldn't. wouldn't get away with it but that was you know how human evolution is you look at and you look at you know modern movies and contemporary movies you know you look at world domination there's always a suppressed people yeah you look at avatar you know that it's still it's the same process yeah happens that because one seems to be superior to than the other instead of being equals and standing alongside each other and you know diverse yeah we're definitely moving to a diverse world and people being much more accepting of each other but you still have the odd spanner in, in the works that, that likes to hold onto to that power.
0: You mentioned before the Maori people over there in Aotearoa. I mean, they, they seem to do it fairly well. I mean, they ingrained the, the Maori language and the tongue in, in schools throughout. I guess, from what I know, there's not the diversity of different languages within that in New Zealand. So obviously in Australia, we've got 250-odd different sort of languages to, to try and comprehend. Yeah. Do we see the ultimate where each of those nations have their own tongue and try and – and you mentioned that a lot of them are gone, but to try and get that in each different area of Australia, is that where you reckon we could get to?
1: Yeah, I guess so. Like I think, you know, we, we undersell ourselves as humans, you know. Like I did a lot of work with kids and they'll go, oh, don't, don't speak too much language to the kids. They won't understand it. Kids are sponges and they, they become multilingual yeah. very quickly. And they know how to adapt and change to their environments. It's As we get older, we like to just stick to what is basic. So we, we love the two hard basket and we'll just stick to what we know. And that's become monolingual. You know, if we can just speak English and that's it, that's all I need to know. But it doesn't give you an, an appreciation of the world or, or to be able to communicate and empathize with other people around the world. Aboriginal people are really good at empathizing with other nations and other countries around the world and other religions because of that diversity we have here. So probably gonna be hard in the on, you know, marrying it up to, to New Zealand with having that diversity is probably a blessing for us as well because mm-hmm. one thing that we're adaptive of is we can adapt to your language and your culture. Maori mob they they love to stick to them. Like they it's their way. Yeah. You know, nothing wrong with that because they've stamped that authority. They've reclaimed this and this is who they are. And they get others to speak their language you know, in a in a positive way. So yeah. you know, there's you need, you need best of both worlds. You need it to be able to juggle and manage them both.
0: It's I mean, when you think about the future, you know, if everyone spoke English and everywhere had a McDonald's and everywhere had all these different mainstream, like nowhere would be different. Yeah. There would be nothing that made each place unique and different. So I think the fact that you can go to different places and experience different country, different culture, different language, like that's what makes it unique to that area and the food and the – art and the dance to that area like that is the celebration of that regional yeah definitely i think more more and more people are getting it like we
1: you know the cities that we live in we live in a multicultural country now so yeah. we have tastes we have little taste tests of everything but we don't get the real deal no. you know like you could go here and you can eat pasta and yeah. you can have wine but you go to italy different again yeah. it's the it's the real deal so you know it's holding on to the the rich heritage of whatever place you're standing on is only going to be sort of that selling point. You, you think about tourism, and you know they, they spend a lot of money on tourism and trying to recruit people to South Australia and those kind of things. Holding on to the authenticity is only going to be bringing people through the door because they want that experience. If it's just a ticker box, they go, oh, "Yeah, I, I, could, I did that in Melbourne or I did that in Sydney." Yeah, that's not going
0: to make. What's the difference? Yeah, Man, I agree. And that could be. Cultural arts performances, paintings, it could be the food, the, you know, the rituals, like there's so many things that make something or a place unique, especially with Indigenous people, that it'd be great to see that celebrated. And, mate, I hope one day we can get there where that's...
1: I think the next generation of kids are going to go to another level than we have. We've come a yeah. long way in such a little time, but that generational change is, is the one that will make that real impact. You know, kids are now growing up alongside our children speaking our language from kindergarten when they become adults it's not going to be much different you know it's it's going to be all of theirs and not just one or the other
0: speaking of kids jack you got your own kids i mean you obviously they you use the language at home and they you know well entrenched in it
1: yeah so i, I use a fair bit i when my oldest daughter i was like i'm going on a code of gun i'm only going to speak gun and people want to grow up and they want to speak to me then she's going to be my translator and I realized that wasn't going to go too far when she started kindergarten and the teachers didn't understand what she was talking about. So, And, and she was learning phonetics as well. So I couldn't teach phonetics in language. So it got difficult. So then we, we turned to a, a bilingual and English and, and there were things that she understood in language that she didn't even know what they were in English. But because we got caught so caught up in the phonetics and not wanting her to fall behind in English at school, I died off on the strictness of language. And then, I've, you know, to every to the next two kids, I've, I've just kept dying off a little bit more and a little bit more. It's hard to navigate and to, to force yourself because you're not forcing it on your kids. You've got to force language use on yourself. Yeah. And the kids will adapt and, and use it. And sometimes, you know, you're tired and you just go to what is easy.
0: What is easy. And you're right, mate. If they're at that age where they're trying to learn at, on one place where they're spending a lot of time, and they're talking something and then you're at home trying to and they get confused and it's it's a bummer isn't it really because you want we, them to we think it.
1: they we think they get confused but what we do is you know where they they actually have a better appreciation and understanding for english in the first place when they learn the other language but we we think the kids are getting confused and we're deciding that for them okay and we never do it as parents they never walk up and going oh well, i'm, I'm speaking Garner today to my english teacher and I'm speaking English to you. Like that, that never happens. Okay. But as parents, we we think, we think that that we so we're making decisions for our kids when it's not really the case. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a natural thing as humans. You know, yeah. we, we we think that we got to know everything, and we should be making those decisions when when kids will tell you if something hurts or something doesn't work or something doesn't make sense.
0: Wait, let's talk about that then. So, the future, the kids coming through. What is it that we, uh, we're hoping for them is to, to get that cultural understanding, to get that storytelling from a young age so that they have that respect and that acknowledgement, that cultural history that they've got that learning? Is that the, is that the plan?
1: Just make just the
0: accessibility of language and culture for yep. them from a young age and,
1: and just making it normal. Yep. I, I started relearning my language after high school. So, and then, you know, the whole hunting practices and all that kind of stuff happened later on. It wasn't entrenched from being. You know, a baby, you know, you know, I've taken my youngest born was in a car seat when we took him hunting. So he's just like looking out the window and not even knowing what's going on, but it's just normal. The other kids are hanging off the roof and, you know, they're, they're helping, you know, prepare the animal once, we, once we've killed it. And, and then we teach, you know, the protocols around, you know, killing animals. You know, you thank it for taking its life because it was a, it was a living being. Yeah. And just because we think we're superior as humans, we're not. We, we live harmoniously with everything. We only, we got to thank it for giving us food. And they learn that from a young age. So they yeah. get a better appreciation of the country and what the importance of country means.
0: Oh, that's nice. I like that. And it's got meaning too, you know. And, and I think that's, that can only have a positive effect on them and, and the generations coming forward as well.
1: Yeah, I think they, they got access to like non Aboriginal friends and they share that. Their, their kids love to share their stories. So. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, when we talk about storytelling, it's not just wait until you get to the elders. You know, yeah. letting the kids tell their story and what's relevant to them. them little show-and-tells, you know, like yeah. You know, my, my son used to argue with Animals Anonymous who bring in you, like your native pets and they go, this is a koala and this is a kangaroo. And they bring in all these little baby farm animals, They're all the natives. My son's just like, yeah, now nah, that, is that a boy? And he goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, he goes, yeah we call that one Anandle. And they go, what did you say, Nandal? And he goes, Yeah, that's Nandal. Me and my dad go hunting for them all the time. You know, like if it was a girl, it would be called Wowie. So he's like, Even educating the educators when they come into schools.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: But they embrace it and they utilize it because they go, You know, they got no idea what this kid's talking about. Is he even telling the truth? You know, but then they'll go, You know, he grows up speaking his language and and they'll go, Great, because I never had access to it. So they only take it on board.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Jack, t- tell everybody what you do for a living and then f- and how they can get in touch with you.
1: So I'm a founder and management director of Kumakaro Cultural Services. So we're like the, the sort of the peak body in South Australia. If people want to engage with Aboriginal people, businesses, language, culture, we've become sort of like the, the place to go to. We have partnerships with about 11 Aboriginal businesses that are, you know, artists or print designers, graphic designers, you know, they cool. have like botanics and yeah. pretty much anything to do with culture we can point you in. if we're not already doing it and people are engaging and working we've got the partnerships with other with other aboriginal people as well so you know it started off as a dance group many years ago but now it's like the one-stop shop to go for with aboriginal culture and oh, that's awesome and how can people get in touch with you we're about a month away from our website going live okay. i never never wanted a website because it was built sort of off of myself like it was me for many many years and we have about nine employees now and i was like i can't have a website because just from word of mouth i'm too busy as it is but bringing on more people you know and mainly to not to professionalize it but to answer some of the Questions we get regularly it's just providing information so when our website goes live, people will be able to have a look up at, for Kumaarll, but at the moment, just through email is our, yeah. is our main process we've got Facebook as well, but we'll just direct everybody to email so we've always got a paper trail behind us but um, yeah that's how we've gone about our business and, and it's grown but you know, we've been lucky enough to share with other mobs around Australia and even around the world with you know what you can actually do if you take the ownership for yourself around language and culture instead of embedding yourself and, you know, sitting under somebody else's wing yeah. like the education department, go, well, we'll only pay you this amount of money for these hours that you work. Yeah. You know, we value it at, at what we think is valued and the education department will then pay what they…
0: But even, Jack, I guess uh, the, your case in point, the fact that you don't sit around and wait for something to happen, you get out there and make it happen, which is the inspiring thing about what you're up to and your organization so my congratulations on actually getting it done and your proof that you can go out there and have a crack if you want to and do some amazing things that resonate with what you're doing and your purpose yeah definitely thanks
1: for that but you know we're navigating the western society at the same time you know yeah. like we've, we've learned the hard way with business we started off as sole traders and it was just a micro business just to dance and then yeah hey you know you realize when you when you do a service you got to pay for it and then when you when you when you charge for that service then you got to pay tax for that service So well, nobody teaches you that no so we've had to learn the hard way and and any micro businesses that we engage and work with we prepare them so then they don't go through what we Same. went through and more and more people are just becoming more adaptive to this society now and and actually you know being remunerated correctly.
0: Cool, mate. Well, mate, this has been really good. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on and sharing your story. Cheers for having me on. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share with your friends and colleagues. And if you know someone working in mental health that you'd like to see featured on the podcast, please email any suggestions to us at membership at anzmh.asn.au. You can also stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA, on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next episode with you next week.